Welcome to Raising Pensacola, a Pensacola Mom Collective podcast. Whether you're a new mom tackling the newborn stage or a seasoned mom navigating the empty nest, you are welcome here. We are all moms navigating this journey together. We are here to make sure you know your seat at our table is welcomed. So while you finish laundry, go for a walk, or are just grabbing your chair, join us as we are Raising Pensacola together. Now, help me welcome your mom hosts, Casey Simpson, Jane Lauder, and Ann McDonald. Hello, happy, happy day. Um, today's episode is a bit of a heavy one, but something that both Anne and myself are, are really passionate about. So today you just have Anne and I. Congratulations. <laughs> Good morning. Um, but this episode is something that Anne and I have talked about since season one that is important to us and important, I feel like, to talk about as moms. So we are by no means considering ourselves experts in this field, but we wanted to talk to you today about mental health because in mental health in our kids, um, maybe a little bit as moms, but you know, we feel like it is so important as we see these stats on the rise, as we come out of COVID and um, we've seen a lot of anxiety flourish in these children. Um, We both have children with ADHD. So that always comes with you know, some sort of piece, other piece to the mental health. So we really wanted to come to you ladies today or listeners today um, to just kind of talk about it because it's Mental Health Awareness Month. We feel like it is so important. We feel like it is something as moms, we need to rally around your kid, my kid and every kid and also really push the schools and our, our local, you know, um, government and people in charge that like, this is an important issue. Would you agree, Anne? I totally agree. And especially from teaching too, knowledge is power with mental health. And that's what I've learned with both of my sons and the multiple evaluations that we've had on them. And just knowing that, you know, this they're, they're struggling with something more than just the basics. There's something else going on there. So we ended up, with my older son, we ended up going to Dr. Kisselbosch at Sacred Heart, who is phenomenal. And he does a neuropsychological evaluation on kids. He specializes in kids with learning disabilities. So especially if your kid is really struggling in school, he's a godsend. I mean, he can pinpoint exactly what's going on with your kid through a series of multiple evaluations. And he's just extremely perceptive. Just one meeting with him and he was telling me stuff about Warren that I had never even realized. And I have a background in psychology. So it was like, you know, it was like, oh my gosh, how did I not see this? But he really pinpointed, you know, not only is my older son dealing with ADHD, he's got anxiety and he also has OCD. So it's like all these things are really kind of combining. And if we put him on ADHD medicine, it exasperates the anxiety. So in order to control the ADHD, we have to, con- we have to deal with the anxiety first. So now he's taking anti-anxieties, then he's taking ADHD medication. Then we're dealing with like OCD issues. And so it's like, oh my gosh, it just kind of like kept piling up on each other. Right now, we are not on any medication, not to say that we have not been and that I'm not a huge supporter of medication. I think that it does. It did wonders for him during a certain developmental phase that was uber important for him to be on ADHD medication. But when the anxiety started to really come out and the emotionality of, you know, just really, 
I mean, we've gotten to the point where I don't want to live. I I don't like my life. I don't want to be here. You know, and I think he's too young to understand suicide at the moment when he's saying this. But as a mother, that's absolutely terrifying to hear. Terrifying. And so that's what really pushed us to, to say something else is going on and we need to figure it out sooner rather than later. And knowledge is power. If we know exactly what is behind all of this, then we can help support it. You know, my other son has um, just general anxiety too. His is a very social anxiety. He does not do well with new friends, new groups. It's very difficult for him. So I know that going into situations, so I handle him differently, you know? So, and then also to, especially coming from the perspective of, I've got kids, I understand them and I'm handling them differently as we go into different situations. I have to have empathy and respect that other moms and dads are doing that too. So I remember being in a store one time with my friend Haley and her oldest son is autistic and he's, he's autistic and he just, he wants to hold the stuffed animal and he doesn't understand that mommy has to take the stuffed animal and buy it, you know? So he's having, he's right. throwing a tantrum, right? He's, he's two, you know, and he's, he's struggling. He, the autism has just set in, he's just lost his speech. And so it was a real struggle for her to get him to under for him to like communicate with his mother. And I remember this lady in the store was like, I wouldn't get my son that stuffed animal if he acted that way. Oh, you should have seen me go at it. I was like, excuse <laughs> me? No. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I, you know, it, it was so, I, and, you know, it was so unsupportive and so judgmental. And so like coming from a place where she had no idea what this child was going through with his mom, you know, like, and, and she was, she's like, I'm not rewarding this behavior. You know, I'm just, right. I'm trying to help my son through a very difficult time because he is autistic and he doesn't necessarily right. understand what's going on. And I see women all the time. We were at Waffle House the other day and this woman sit down with her baby. And of course the baby's crying the whole time. And you can see it on her face. She's like, come on, stop crying, stop crying. Like, what can I do to get you to stop crying? And I, I want to give, you know, like in Hunger Games, when she gives like the symbol with the fingers, and yeah. you know, like that yeah. movement. I need that for mothers. Like I yes. see you across Target. I see your kids struggling. I'm like, I got you. Like, stay strong, mom. Stay strong. I mean, you know, how like amazing. We've all been yeah, there. We've all been there. And I think that's the biggest thing for me today is like to talk to you about is we are there. We we've walked in these shoes. We want people to know that they're not alone. And also it's hard. So like for me, you know, I deal with my own, you know, depression, anxiety that I I take medicine for, but when it comes to your kids and like your heart is living outside of your body and your children, and you see these things that you have, or your husband has the good and the bad, like it is one of those things that you don't need the world judging it because you're just trying to figure it out. Right. And so survive here. (laughs) Right. And I just feel like Knowledge is power, but also at the same time, we're not giving kids enough credit where credit is due from a mental health perspective. And I really, really feel passionately that like we have to teach our kids empathy and sympathy and it has to be taught in school. Like the teachers have to understand that mental health is a huge piece when these kids come to school. You know, not every day the kid can sit still in his chair. Let's commend him when he does and let's find, 
you know, other ways. Maybe he's the kid that needs to get up halfway through the test and do five jumping jacks. You know, as adults, when your brain is finally formed, you know this. But as kids, it's like, and as the parent of a kid, you're expected to know this. But then you get the calls from the school and then the kid comes home and he feels defeated. And then you're trying to fix that defeated piece. But everything at school counts. You know, friends are way, voices are way louder than mom and dad's. And so it's just this evolving like peace to mental health that I feel like we don't just say we need the sign of being like, you're not alone. I'm with you. Yes, this is hard as heck to talk about because everyone's story is different and no, no two are the same. But, and I say to my kids, like everyone is fighting their own battle, whether yours looks different from theirs and theirs is prettier than yours. And you know, whatever level of life you're on. Um, and so I just feel like as humans, we need to have better empathy and sympathy for the world out there. Because if we did that better, maybe it would look a little better. And Jane, it wouldn't be so me, impatient. Yeah. And what I tell my boys, because, and I think that learning about uh, mental health and, you know, other disabilities and diversity and all that stuff, there it really does start in the classroom with having a diverse classroom. And so my son has always been, you know, he's been in public school. He's been in very diverse classrooms. He's been um, in classrooms with kids that have autism or that have that struggle with um, other mental health issues. And my, and he struggles with his own. And my explanation to them has always been everybody's brain is different. Everybody's brain works different. Like with your brain with ADHD, you're like a cheetahs in a sloth world. You are running at a such faster pace than everybody else. And you're tripping and falling a lot because of that. And he like literally he trips and falls a lot because he like can't keep up with himself. And but does he real quick, does he does he you know, I think the hardest part is these kids accepting like like breaking the stigma of like, oh, I have anxiety, I have ADHD. Like repetitively, my child with ADHD is like, I don't want to have ADHD. You know, and I'm like, but it's who you are, right? But it's who you are. Like, sure, I don't want you to either because you get 10 times more negative talk from a teacher in a classroom than the kid who's just quiet in the corner, right? But you also have big, loud opinions and your brain is running fast. But do you find that your sons like do not like their disability or their piece of their mental health that they struggle with? So with Warren, um, with ADHD, and you know, I grew up with ADHD and in the nineties, which was very different than today because you didn't yes. medicate in the nineties, you know, that was like taboo, but, um, it, I have always told him, I said, it's a superpower, you know, there, there is a huge benefit to your ADHD. And while that benefit might not be visible and understandable in a, in a standard classroom, as you grow older, you'll be able to do multiple things at one time. I mean, look at all that I get done in a day, how many things I'm able to do at once. That's my ADHD. That That's my ability to manage multiple things at one time. And that's a superpower. You know, that's going to make you an amazing leader. I always joke about this, that my kids have extremely frustrating personality traits right now that drive me up the wall, but it's going to make them an, an uber successful adult. Like I have really high like expectations for my kids because I think, uh, you know, where it's frustrating here now, 
they're exhibiting signs of just having the ability to be really amazing leaders one day. And so that's how I kind of have always addressed it with Warren. Like, this is your superpower, you know, like such a beautiful way. And, you know, does he get that also in the classroom? Because, you know, I find that um, any of these kids going through whatever they're going through, we're losing a lot of patience from our teachers post COVID, you know, and shout out, this is no discredit to them. Like, They are doing their job and their job is harder than ever, but their job is just as important as being a mom, right? And so I can do the work at home. So I wish they were equipped. I wish they were because I feel like they're not fairly equipped. I wish they were equipped to do the work also, just like I'm expected to do the homework. Does that make sense? Like, I just feel like together we have to do it collectively. Yeah. And I collectively, and I have been so incredibly fortunate that Warren has had phenomenal teachers at every step of the way. Lucky. And a big point of that too, is being a teacher in the school. This is where that, that career shift became so incredibly important for me when I was teaching, switching from like being a psychology, being psychology, mental health to switching to teaching, knowing that I wanted to be there for my kids. And I wanted to kind of go through that education with them. That's made a huge difference. Being able to be at the school and know the teachers personally, have a personal relationship with them. I remember Warren's third grade teacher. She is known for being such a hard teacher, very firm on the rules, not very open to kind of like letting kids move around the room and like be a little bit more crazy, you know, in the classroom. And I remember going to her and this was the year we took Warren off medication and I had no idea how it was going to go. So I was like, I'm going to go ahead and have this conversation with you and say, look, he's off medication and it's because of these emotional issues. We're trying to get a handle on this, figure out what's really going on. So I'm not willing to put him back on medication. So I need you to make it work and I need you to make it work in a good way. And these are the things that I do with Warren to keep him on track that I find really successful. These are things he's done in the past with other teachers that have been really successful. And that year was his, has been one of his most successful years. He went from a second grade reading level to a fifth grade reading level. He, I mean, his citizenship was great all year. And she said, you know what? I put his desk right next to mine. And I prompted him. And when you, that's what Warren needs. He just needs kind of constant, like, hey, remember, sit down. Oh, okay. Remember, Warren, do the next problem. Oh, okay. And she had him right there under her thumb. And she was just kind of constantly on Shout out to that teacher. That's such a beautiful thing. (laughs) (laughs) She was, and you know, his fourth grade teacher, Ms. Uberoth, she was a phenomenal teacher as well. Just, and I think getting Warren label gifted and getting him put in the gifted class because gifted and ADHD are just right there next to each other, just hanging out. They're good friends. You know, I think that that made all the difference because these teachers understand that combination. They understand how to teach these gifted ADHD kids. They understand how to work with them, how to keep them engaged. And so that again has made such a phenomenal difference for Warren. And I'm just, I'm so grateful to the school and the teachers that he's had because it is, it it, all it takes is one teacher. I would love to tell you, it does take just one teacher and you never forget who those teachers are. But unfortunately, most people- Oh, I was going to say the good one. It only takes a bad teacher, one bad year to really kind of crush a child. Oh, yeah, for sure. But I was going to say, you always remember those great teachers Mm -hmm. who somehow made an impact on you. And it sounds like he will remember those. But I'll never forget Ms. Doty. 
I mean, and I actually got to see her in my teaching career because she works for Gulf Coast Kids House now. And I was like, oh my gosh, that fourth grade teacher that, that understood me, that got me, that didn't make me feel like a leper in the classroom. So you know that feeling. Oh yes. I know that feeling very, I grew up with that feeling most of my, most of my life. Yeah. That's such a hard, hard feeling. And, and the thought of it for you probably as a, like I did not have ADHD. i definitely have anxiety and a little depression. And so I get that, you know, sometimes you just, you feel not worthy of things. And that's such a hard concept to really try to hone in on and break. But, you know, sitting in a classroom and feeling like a leper or, you know, like we had a really terrible sixth grade um, year last year with one teacher and it happened to fall where they moved classes. So thankfully, but it was the homeroom teacher and, and the emotional damage, fine, he learned right? Like he learned everything. He moved on to seventh grade, but like the emotional damage, I never realized how important that was. And maybe because it was middle school, maybe not. I don't, I don't know exactly why, but I, I woke up to the fact of like, this isn't working. This isn't working. You're coming, he's coming home. I'm having to like repair, 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 you know, and, and he shrunk down to like, a little. And, and it was incredible to me to see how much power that the school has in that sense. And that's when it awoke me to be like, you know what? You guys need to get in here. Like you need to talk about bullying and you need to talk about mental health and, and whatever that kid to the right of you is going through, you know, be a friend, you yeah. know, don't make them sit alone. You know, if there is a kid alone at a table, we want our kids to invite them over, right? You know, because I want my that kid, kid to get up and go sit with that kid or go sit with them because yeah. that kid sitting at the table, they know they're sitting at the table by themselves. Mm-hmm. And and but that I is love that kid sitting at the table by myself. So like when I'm talking to Warren about like compassion and empathy and understanding others, that to me is one of the most important things. I'm like if I hear of you being intentionally unkind to someone, that will break my heart. That would that would be one of the worst things you could do, in right. my opinion. And so, I having come, grown up feeling that way, like, and not wanting my my children to feel that way, but also wanting my children to understand that when you look at other people, they could other children they could be feeling that way. Like, always reach a hand out. Always have a little bit understanding. And like when my sons come home and maybe they complain about another kid or something. And, you know, I know all these kids cause I, I, I teach at the school. So, I mean, I know what that kid's going through. I know that that kid has mental health issues and here's my son being like, like, Oh my gosh, blah, blah. I'm like, you know what? I think you need to have a little bit more compassion for him. You know, I think you need to understand that maybe he just is trying to find a friend and he doesn't necessarily know how to become friends with you. And so he's trying right. stuff. So maybe right. give him a little bit of grace. Maybe, you know, invite him over to play soccer when you're playing soccer. Get or him like, involved. Yeah. Or try something new. Mm-hmm. Like I remember explaining to a teacher that my kid had, like the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over <laughs> and expecting a different result. Right. <laughs> so like try something new. If he's having a hard time sitting still while you're doing that, is it really that big of a deal if he stands up and does it or writes? You know, I mean, I just, it, you got to bend. 
you got to bend with mental health. You got to bend with these kids as they're growing up because there's hormones and they've got things going on at home and, you know, things going on in their personal lives and they're trying to fit in. And there's just so many complex pieces to this world today. And so I really feel like as moms, it, it is our job as well as many others, but as moms, it is our job to try to foster that with our kids to use with other kids. Right. Yes. And I think so much of kids, I think Jen and I were talking about this post, the, um, the middle school, uh, podcast that y'all did last week about the deflection. Like I just, I don't want the attention on me cause I don't want to be called out or like ostracized from the group. So when the attention's coming to me, I'm going to immediately put it on somebody else. You know, right. and I'm not caring about negative what ways. they're going through now and what they're feeling as long as it's just not me because they're so egocentric at this age. Right. And they have no idea who they are. They're trying to. I loved <laughs> I am always cracking up when when Warren thinks he's doing something cool and like he's like with his bras, you know, and he's like so cool. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like to see them kind of like trying to find themselves fit in with a group is just hilarious to me because I'm like, we've all been there. Right. We were all those kids trying to figure out like how we fit in with a group. Group? Do we like this group of friends? Is this where I want to be? Sometimes you just fall into a friend group by default because you're like, these were the only people that liked me. I literally, no joke, Jane, I talked to my girlfriends from high school. We're still all very close. And I, I remember myself back then and I talked to them and I'm like, how are you friends with me? I was so annoying. I never shut up still to this day. I'm like, how are you friends with me? And my one friend, Penelope, she was like, you were, you were so fun to have around. You were funny. You were energetic. You just brought a lot of life to our group. And I was like, that's, that's really sweet because I I never felt that way. You know, I never realized how much they valued my kind of personality in that group, which I guess is what's made us so close all these years is we all value each other in this group for another reason. But Without that group in high school, I don't know what would have happened. And you don't, I mean, luckily you found that in high school because you really don't even learn until, you know, that brain, part of your brain is formed, which is until your 20s based on science. However, you know, I mean, my sister was ADHD and she said she always, she always got told you're being really loud. You're being loud. Mm -hmm. And she still does to this day. And, and she's like, you know, and so she's talking to my kids who are also loud and she's like, it's just in your family. We're just loud. When we're excited, we're loud. And so Oh, if but- you know any of my family, the Macbeths, everyone will tell you. And they all think the friend that uh, the one that they're friend with is the loudest. And I'm like, nope. No, you haven't, you haven't met, met the, the others. <laughs> but it it leads me to something that I feel like is very important. Like Also mental health and like we can tell these stories and how it's positively affecting us. It's also very negative in your home front, right? It's very scary feeling when you don't know what is going on with your kids or you think you have it figured out, you know, and then like the anxiety creeps in and they can't sleep, you know, or the, you know, depression creeps in and they're not feeling worthy of, you know, being alive perhaps or they're getting made fun of at school, or they're being left out, you know, all these things weigh heavy on us as moms. And then it's like, how do we, how do we fix it? Do they need therapy? Where do we go to get it? I feel like once you get in that spot, and it is like, 
the world starts caving in because you don't even know where to begin. Like, oh, do they need medicine? Okay, then they need a psychiatrist. But then you need a psychologist to talk to them and help them work out these feelings. And then you need the school to get on board with that. And and like by that time, it's a full time job. Mm -hmm. And as a mom, you're worried sick. Oh, you are. It's gut wrenching, and it's absolutely when when Warren has his moments of you know feeling unworthy and feeling low. He still has them. He still has his emotional outbursts, and we're still working with him on that. You know, it's just, it it makes me want to cry because it's gut-wrenching and it's so hard to see your child go through this and to also see, you know, to watch him feel belittled by somebody and see it on his face, see where that, that sinks in, where he's, he's embarrassed and he, he, he feels it. And I'm just like, I want to reach out to him because it's so hard. But then there's also that space of like, there's a space he has to learn and he has to like understand and and take that next step forward. And it just, it's so hard sometimes as a mom, not to jump in, not, and what I'm finding that I'm trying to create with my sons moving forward with both of them and their, their mental health and, and how they address situations is I'm trying to find that safe space of talk to me. You know, I want to be a person you feel like you can talk about this with, you know, because even if you have a therapist that you go to once a week, that's once a week, you know, and that's, that's sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't work, you know, with that therapist, but with Warren, you know, I try to say, I try to connect with him on every level of, you know, I've been through this. I've dealt with this. I, I grew up with ADHD. This is how I dealt with this situation. You know how I felt with that. And so trying to just connect with him on those spaces. And then my husband has such a phenomenal connection with both the boys to where he can just, cause it's funny as much as I like understand Warren, sometimes I get the most frustrated with him and Matt will be like, let me have a talk with him. He talks with him and, and Warren's fine. It's, it, it's washed away. And I'm like, okay, I really hope that that continues through the rest of his life. Because I think kids that are going to struggle and have mental health issues, or they have their disabilities or diverse, like you, you need somebody that's your person that you can talk mm-hmm. to. That you, you feel can, safe with. You feel safe with, you know, I and, just, I don't ever want my children to like, I'm not that. Right. And, and that's a beautiful thing that y'all, y'all have that, but oftentimes it isn't mom and dad. Yeah. You know, I mean, oftentimes mom and dad make, uh, I mean, mom and dad make things worse because they're still holding you accountable and they're, you know, but you know, and so sometimes that is when you have the therapist. So they have that safe space. They have that safe person or a grandparent or, you know, someone older that can walk them through those motions of like, yeah, that was so terrible that that happened to you at school today. But like, that's, that doesn't define your worth, mm-hmm. right? That isn't who you but to are. Them it does. And so right. to like get, cause I think back to like middle school and high school, like when stuff like that happened, um, like I was, you know, when we, we were at CLA together, I was completely ostracized from the entire group and I begged to move schools, right? Because there was just, it, it's a small school. And if you get booted out of the group, you're, you really don't have anybody. Right. And so I had one friend and she was leaving and I just was crying to my mom and was like, please let me go. Because to me, this does feel like the end of the world. You know, when they're, when our middle school and high school kids are going through something, it does feel like the end of the world to them. It does feel like everything to them. So trying to get them to understand that this one moment in time does not define you. I mean, you know, I think back now and I'm like, that would be the one thing I would tell myself 
if you could go back and, you know, they always ask, what's the oh. one thing you could say? But would you believe yourself? I I think it would take a little bit of convincing because, you know, you're just, again, your brains aren't formed and you're so egocentric and, you know, frontal lobe. So it's like, it can be really difficult to understand that. And so, but that's the scariest thing for me is that in, in that space of growing up, you don't, you don't realize that you don't realize that this is such a small smidgen of your life. We talked about this last week. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, I did, I worked at Lakeview center, which is a great resource to go and get, you know, mental health services for your kid for sure. On all levels. I worked with them for a couple of years. And I mean, the kids that I would meet and I worked with kids specifically who had tried to commit suicide and the, and I was working with them and I'd go into the home and I'd figure, you know, we'd talk about like, why did you, why did you feel like this was you needed to take your life, you know, like what got you to this point? And they talk about all these things and you, you're, you're looking at them. You're like, I, I can't change any of those things. I can't make any of this better for you right now because I'm not your parent. I'm I'm not in control of your home life and, and how that's going down. And DCF isn't, it's not like DCF level, so they're not going to remove you. So it was teaching them. This is a split moment in time for you. I want you to just focus on the future. Every time you feel like you can't get out, remember that you can get out, that you can take this next step, that you can, you know, get into college. I mean, I would talk to kids and be like, what's college? What do you mean? I don't have to like live in this house for the rest of my life. No, you don't have to live in this house the rest of your life. You get to, you get to go create a whole new life for yourself and you don't ever have to come back here again. It's like a form of resilience that we want our Mm -hmm. kids to learn, like through this. And it's like, we can't sit here and say, I wasn't picked on. I was chubby. I was picked on all the time about that. You know, I mean, whatever it was, my sister was because she was loud. You know, I mean, there's always a, a kid that smells because he can't remember to put on deodorant. I mean, there are so many things, right? And so some of it is like, you don't want any of it to happen. Okay. Like as a mom, I want to be like, okay, everyone's, you know, it's rainbows and butterflies, but Mm -hmm. you also want your kids to have a a level of resilience that they can handle when their boss is like, you're fired and you don't have, we don't have a reason for it. Or you just went up against 20 people and you didn't get that job. You know, you want the, the whole purpose is resilience. I just, you know, as a mom and as I get older, I'm like, I just wish we could do it with such a different level of empathy. Yes. <laughs> and, um, I, you know, and I think we have to, we can't ignore the mental health piece for these kids and we can't, um, you know, take that away because when we do, we're doing a disservice to them. And also you end up, I, I find you end up seeing that they end up unhappier, Mm -hmm. right? Because they don't know it. And so there's tears at my house. They, they don't want the ADHD and the, you know, and I'm like, but, but if that stigma was just broken in the world of like, you know, like you said, Mm -hmm. it's like your superpower and he felt connected on so many levels, but there's a lot of people that don't want to talk about it. And so while it is everyone's personal opinion, what you're going to do you know, for me, it's always been something that I want to talk about because one, I need to talk to other moms to know that like, is this episode of, you know, an emotional breakdown normal, right? Mm -hmm. So for starters for that, but also 
I need to have like stories for him to show and like let him build resilience if he doesn't see that in the kid or the kid doesn't want to talk about that. So I just feel like that piece of connection, like for both as mothers and kids, you know, my kid, I am envious of the people that can go on vacation and it's a real vacation and and it isn't hard and they can come home and their kid sits down and does their homework. And they, I, I mean, I'm envious. That's not yeah. the way our house looks and works. And there's and often that- tears by mom and dad included, you know, and frustration. Um, so that piece is hard. And I just want, you know, I just wanted to have this conversation today. So people knew that, you know, Instagram is not reality, as we've said many times before. And reach out because I know Anne and I and plenty of other people on the team, like we're willing to talk about this stuff. Like we're willing to climb down in the hole with you and talk about this stuff and get messy and dirty. If it means we're bringing greater good for our children, for our community, um, just in general, I think is just what I find myself the older I get, the more passionate I am. And what's really beautiful, Jane, um, you know, being in the publishing world, I, I see this coming down the pipe and it's, it's already happening, but there's just a level of diversity to books now on all levels for children. And so that to me right there is such a brilliant start. Cause I said that diversity sometimes starts in that classroom, you know, you're encountering yeah. kids, brains are different. People learn differently, you know, and trying to set, you know, like everybody's got their own space. Everyone, we call it a genius button when I was teaching, like everybody has their genius button. You just have to try all these things, but there's going to be something that you excel at because everybody has that one genius spot, right? Right. All about finding that. And we need all the doctors in the world, but we need everyone in the world that does everything. And that's what I tell my kids all the time. Like, that's great for the friends that want to be doctors, but we also need the electricians and the plumbers and the architects and, you know, the people that are making all the plans to where the grocery, you know, the farmers, Mm -hmm. like we need every person. And so how do we as humans accept that for everyone as moms accept that in our groups of friends when life gets really hard. We don't want that mom to feel like she's alone when her kid's melting down and mm-hmm. the other mom's kids are super easy, you know, cause that mom feels that she's yeah. feeling it. The kid is feeling it. And Everybody's feeling it. Of judgment. Like when you're in that moment and your kids, you know, losing it at target or the, or the, or the waffle house, whatever age or stage they're at. Right. And you're in a situation with them you feel like there's all these judgmental eyes on you, even if they're not like the lady at Waffle House, I was trying to give her like the signal, like you, it's okay. Like it's not bothering me. My kids were there. Like, you know, I, we've all been there. Right. But you don't feel that in the moment and you feel the judgment kind of coming at you from all spaces, even if it's really not. And right. so, yeah, finding that way to kind of use your, your actions are your words to just be like, I support you, mom. Like you're, you're doing the best that you can, you know, because And that's the other thing too, what I think some other parents or some other moms and stuff don't realize. And then again, you feel that judgment when it's, it's not really meant to be judgment. It's just maybe meant to be like a question or like, Hey, why, you know, why would you let your kid do this? And I'm like, look, so like, 
you know, why are you letting your kids speak to you disrespectfully? You're like, that's not what we're focused on right now. We're focused on the fact that you just smacked some other kid across the head. That's what I'm trying to address. That's the behavior I'm trying to work on. This disrespectfulness, that's for another day. Because we can only do one thing at a time. We can only focus. That's a teaching mechanism too. When you have a student and maybe they struggle with getting out of their seat too often, talking too often, or tapping their pencil. Well, we're not going to work on all three of those at the same time. What's the most, what's the most um, distracting for the learning? It's the talking. So we're going to focus on that first. So if he gets up, I'm not going to say anything. If he taps his pencil, I'm not going to say anything. But if he talks, I'm going to say, hey, remember, we're not talking right now. Hey, or, you know, give him a mark. And then after so many little like tally marks, I had a kid one year, brilliant, brilliant child, loved him to death. The, the kid never stopped interrupting me. Right. So I started making, I said, you know, let's just, let's baseline this for me. Okay. Kindergarten. Right. And I made a little, every time he interrupted me, I made him get up and go give a tally. So there was that moment of break of like, no tally. So it stopped his talking, stopped his thought process. He had to like physically get up and go do it. At the end of the day, I said, you interrupted me 13 times today. Do you feel like that's an acceptable amount to be interrupting somebody? And he was like, I did not realize I interrupted that much. I said, yeah. So like, let's, let's think about that when you want to just, you know, that ADHD of just like trying to like get it out there. Like, I got to say it, I got to say it. Maybe every time you have something you want to say, count to 10 first and then think, is this important? Is this relevant? Do I need to say it? And he was smart enough to kind of get there with me. And he, we got him down to like only five interruptions a day. I was going to say my, (laughs) I was going to say my ADHD child would still have 13, but you know what, (laughs) with him, we work on did you really mean what you say? Cause everything mm. comes out that he thinks and we're like, uh, I don't, did you really mean that? And he's like, no. So, Jim, you know, and so on that, like Warren was set, like to my thing, I was like, how are you so mean? You know? And then when he, we put him on medication, he was this nice, respectful child. I was like, that's the kid I raised. And it's, it's that impulsiveness. It's just the saying the first thing that like just walking by and like knocking my cup off the table. I'm like, what, why did you just knock the cup off the table? And he's like, what did I just do? I'm like, you walked by and you knocked the cup off the table. He's like, I didn't even realize like, they're just so impulsive sometimes mm-hmm. that they don't realize what they're doing. And it takes a done. whole lot of patience, mamas. It does. <laughs> and then some when all is said and done. And then some, I mean, there's nights that I climb in bed at eight thirty and nine and I just have to cry. And then I'm like, okay, we're, we're just gonna, I love my kids. And I love my life. And we're just gonna wake up and do this all over again. And we're gonna get through it. And so are you. So I'm super grateful we were able to have this chat today. And I, I think we, we could go on for hours, we could. but we do have to wrap it up. But you know, if I could give anyone like the challenge this week is work with your kids on empathy, remind them that we need everybody in the world. Don't let the kids sit alone, you know, do the things that you know, in your heart are the right things. And I feel like as humans, we all feel that way. But also do check ins for these older kids, like check on that mental health, make sure you know where their head is and um, how they're feeling. And if it's not you that they want to open up to, then grab that safe person or person that they feel like they can tell it to and tell it to them because I think these are really important things. But thank you so much, Anne, for coming and sharing your heart and sharing this hard stuff. And 
maybe we'll talk about it again soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen to Raising Pensacola, a Pensacola Mom Collective podcast. Make sure you follow Raising Pensacola and Pensacola Mom Collective on Instagram and Facebook. If you like the episode, give us a like, review, and let's keep the conversation going. Let us know what you want to talk about.